we are as a church, who we are as believers, what it is that God would like to do in us, what it is that God would like to do through us. Um, I appreciate Dane sharing this morning as he read our statement of faith on what we believe about Jesus Christ. I appreciate the comments made about when we gather together as a body of Christ, we are declaring victory, that, that Jesus Christ has won the victory for us, that we often are troubled and there are lots of things that can bother us, but man, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we are on the victor side. I mean, we have hope today. And so, as we think about this idea of us being a church, I want us to think about what kind of supernatural work might God want to do in you and and then through us as a church? What kind of supernatural work? I'm not talking natural work, just what we can do, but what God could do in us and then through us as a church. And as a pastor, as a pastor of our church and just as a church member, it is my desire that we would see God save people. That is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, that we would see people being saved, that we would see prayers being answered, that we would be seeing marriages restored, broken families put back together, to see those who are spiritually cold becoming hot and on fire for our Lord, that we would see those who are discouraged finding hope, that we would find those who are sorrowful finding joy, those who are enslaved to various sins finding freedom. I believe that God would want to see us and do these things in us and more. I would love to see God continue to build His church here at Eastside Baptist Church and in Crawfordsville and around the world, that He would grow us with a wide diversity of people. People that aren't just like us, but people that can be much different than us. A wide diversity of people that we, and yet are united by a common love for Jesus Christ. That I'd love to see our church become a lighthouse in our community where people know that Eastside Baptist Church is a place that is known where I can go and find trustworthy help and hope. That a place where we as a church are equipped as individuals to love others wisely with grace and truth. And I'm confident these are things that God desires to do in us and through us. And I also believe they're things that He can do in us and through us. And yet for this to happen, God has to work. God has to be at work in us, in this, in the supernatural work that we're going to see in this passage this morning. We're going to see two big ideas this morning. The first is that there are things that can close the door to God's supernatural work. And we're going to see that in our passage this morning. There are other things that we see God opening the door. There will open the door to the supernatural work and God doing things in us far more than all we ask or imagine. And it is my goal this morning that, that, that we will respond to these truths, the truths that we're going to see in Mark 6, in a way that will open the door wide for God to do supernatural work in us and through us. Before we look at our passage, let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is alive. You are a God who is at work in our world today. Lord, you are a God who has has saved us. Those who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, you have made us a new people. We are ambassadors. We are called to, we are aliens and strangers in this world, but, but we are also on mission to be sharing this gospel, to be instruments of help and hope in the lives of others. God, you have made us new people. 
And as we declare the victory of Jesus, I pray that you would grow our love for one another, our love for you, and that we would overflow with this love and allow you to be at work in us, and that we would pray for your work in us, and then we would celebrate the, the accomplishments that you do among us. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts this morning. Let your Spirit work in us, challenge us through the Word of God. And as we leave this morning, that we would be motivated and we would be stirred to see you do supernatural work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 6 begins in verse 1. Let's read this together in the first six verses. He, this is Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown. What's Jesus' hometown? Nazareth, right. So he goes back to Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard them were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Well, as we begin in this passage, we see that Jesus has gone home. He goes home to his hometown, and he is showing up as a rabbi, as a teacher. And he has followers, and rabbis, they would have followers of that day, individuals that would follow him around. He shows up back in his hometown, and, and, and he's got these people following him. And he rec- they recognize that he is a rabbi, and was as would have been the custom of the day, they allow him the opportunity to speak in the synagogue, this Jewish place of worship. He allows them to speak, they allow him to speak there. And as he's teaching, the people are blown away. I mean, in the word it says, they are astonished. This is similar to what we saw back in chapter 1. And let's look back there real fast. Chapter 1 of the book of Mark verses 21 to 23, we see a similar idea as Jesus is teaching. And as the book of Mark opens, Jesus goes about, he begins to teach, and it says this in verse 21 of Mark 1. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, that's where it is in our passage today, he entered the synagogue, okay, he has this pattern, and was teaching. And they were astonished, there's our word, astonished at his teaching, For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so here in chapter 1 and then also back here in chapter 6, these people are listening to Jesus teach and they're realizing he's not teaching like everybody else. He's teaching in ways that that, that we've never heard before. And as they hear Jesus do this teaching, they're astonished by all this. And they begin to ask questions. They, they begin to ask questions about what's going on. And, and look back in chapter 6. They ask the question, where did he get this? Where, where did this man get these things? Because they're thinking, he didn't get it from any other rabbi because no other rabbi teaches like him. Where did he get this? Well, he didn't get it from some library because, well, nobody, would, nobody writes like this either. 
And they would say, too, I mean, in our day, well, nobody on YouTube, I can Google all this kind of stuff. I don't find this stuff anywhere. Jesus is teaching in a way that, that has authority, and he's teaching things that are just blowing the people away. And so the first question they ask is, where did he, this man get these things? And they say the second question, there he says, what is the wisdom given to him? And, and, and think about being in a place where you're hearing some really good truths, things that are really helpful for you. Maybe it's in a meeting, maybe it's in church service, maybe it's at a conference. And the person that's teaching is sharing just stuff that's just like, man, I didn't know this. I wasn't aware of this. You're like just scribbling down as much as you can because you just want to take all of this in. And it seems that that's what they're experiencing is what is all this wisdom? Where, I don't, I, this is all new to us. Jesus is teaching him. He's blowing them out of the water with this. They then say, the third question they says is, how are such mighty works done by his hands? Because as he's showing up, crowds would follow him where he would go. They're certainly hearing about people being raised from the dead. They're hearing about people whose hand was withered now being able to use that hand. People who are lame being able to walk. They're hearing all these things, and they, they have all these questions, and they says, where does this come from? And they don't have any answers. They just have all these questions. And the questions they have, in many ways, the questions they're asking, they're asking them with a ceiling over their head. They're asking questions that the answers are beyond the ceiling that they have. Because the ceiling they have is revealed in these next questions. Because in verse 3 it says, Is not this the carpenter? Which obviously we're learning some things about Jesus here. Okay, we know he's a carpenter. How do we know he's a carpenter? The scriptures teach us that. And so these people, he's in his hometown, and they're thinking, we've watched this guy work. He's the guy that had the shop over there on the side of the town with his dad. And we remember watching him work, and isn't this, I mean, this guy's teaching all this amazing stuff. Isn't he just the carpenter from our hometown? They, they ask another question. Isn't he the son of Mary? which was likely a derogatory statement because typically people are identified as the son of their father. And they're saying the son of Mary. And so it, it kind of raises the question that there, there were people saying things about who his dad really is because they're like, you know, that Mary, when they got married, I mean, the timing of their marriage and the timing of her pregnancy and that baby coming along, that doesn't add up real well, right? We know that, her, his father is ultimately Jesus, is God the Father. But there's, so there's a suspicion, suspicion roaming around town about who Jesus is. But So he's a carpenter. Isn't he Mary? And it says here, um, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. I mean, we watch Jesus grow up with his brothers, which also would point us to the fact people often talk about Mary being a perpetual virgin. Well, she has four other sons, and she has these daughters that we're going to read about as well. We recognize that's not biblical. So they have all these other, these brothers, and these brothers would actually be half-brothers of Jesus, right? Because their dad was Joseph. Jesus' dad is God the Father, right? So they're half-brothers, and they're thinking, this guy is teaching all this amazing stuff. We used to watch him and his brothers I don't know what they'd say, ride bikes in their front yard, and we watched him playing football, and we watched him growing up, and this, he's just like us, but where's he getting all this from? They ask another question, are these not his sisters here with us? 
And again, we're learning these things about Jesus, his brothers, his sisters, his mom, his job, all of these things about this. And then it says at the end of verse 3, they took offense at him. Which, what did it say about his teaching? They're astonished. They're amazed, blown away by his teaching. But then as they process, wait a minute, this is the carpenter. This is the son of Mary. This is, he's got these brothers and his sisters. We know everything about this guy. We know everything about this guy. And then they take offense at him. I think they took offense at him, not primarily because of what he was teaching, but what he was calling them to. Because if Jesus was being consistent with what he's been teaching, he was saying to them what he said back in chapter 1. Let's look back there. In verse, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Because they're not going to take offense at him teaching kind of some of the kind of generic truths. But what do they take offense at? In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I would say, at this point, not too many people are offended. Great. God's coming. His kingdom's close. Fantastic. Bring it on. But then he says, repent and believe the gospel. And when he says repent, what is he calling us to repent of? Our sins. How many of you like your sins to be brought out and you have to deal with them? I mean, if you're like me, you don't. I mean, we kind of do in church, right? I mean, in church, we're like, yeah, talk to me about my sins, pastor, because I know I need to get them cleaned up. But then your spouse says something to you at home about the fact that uh, you're being lazy or that you said a cross word to them and that you have not fulfilled something you said you were going to do and so you've not done that and that somebody in that context is pointing sin out to you. How well do you like that? Because our response is typically like, oh, thank you, sweetie. I'm so glad you pointed that out to me because I'm a sinner and I just need to continually be reminded of that so I know that I need my Savior, right? Woo! Praise God for that. What do we do? Why do you talk to me about that? And we get all bent out of shape and all that. Because why? We don't want to hear people telling us to repent, talking about our sins any more than they did. And what do we do when people point out our sins? We often take offense. Because we're like, well, who are you? Who are you to tell and talk to me about my sins? You're just like me. I mean, I can list the sins that you did last week and blah, 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 and all this goes on. Now, why are the people taking offense at Jesus? They're taking offense at Jesus because he's calling them to repent. But how do they see Jesus? They see Jesus as just one of them. They don't see him as who he truly is. They're not grasping that. He's the carpenter. He's the guy we grew up with. As we understand this familiarity that they have with Jesus, it leads them not to respond to him. And look what Jesus says in verse 4. And he said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. As we see, this identifies himself as a prophet. That's significant. He is indeed a prophet. And it says that he's not without honor except in his hometown. And it basically says, which we kind of see that in some ways in our own day, you know, somebody who can be like this really big expert on something, and they come back to their hometown, the people don't like see him as the expert. They said, dude, we were in high school together. You're not that impressive. Okay? 
but because our familiarity with them. And that seems to be what's happening here because it says in verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And in verse 6 tells us why. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Everywhere else Jesus went, people were believing. Everywhere else, as Jesus was teaching, people respond to him in faith, but not his hometown. And it says that as a result of that, he went about among the villages teaching. As we see this passage, I want us to look and to think, what can we learn from Jesus' experience here? What happened with Jesus? What are some things that we can learn from this? Well, here's one of the big truths I want us to see, is that our unbelief, closes the door to the supernatural work that Jesus can do in us. As we see, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. What was the result? That his mighty works. He's doing incredible miracles everywhere else, but because of their unbelief, nothing. Almost nothing. And as we recognize this, that this picture we get is that God wants to do significant work in us. As we would read this Bible, I'm convinced God wants to use His people in supernatural ways. He wants to use us to impact our friends and our neighbors with the gospel. He wants to use us to help those who are suffering. He wants to help help those whose lives are broken. He wants to see people be saved. And He's calling us as as a church and us as individuals to be used by Him. But oftentimes our unbelief closes the door. This abundance that God wants in our lives is oftentimes closed because we just put a lid on what we think Jesus can do. You know, we recognize that Jesus wants us to be people who are full of joy and peace and patience and, 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 and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. We know that those are things God wants for us. He wants us to love others wisely. He wants us to engage with others, to speak truth. And yet oftentimes this door is closed because of our unbelief. And what we realize in this is that this idea of believing God is not the same as being amazed by God. Remember, these people were astonished at his teaching. But that's not the same thing as believing in Jesus. I mean, I'm convinced that we can sit in church, we can read our Bibles, we can see theology and be like, whoa, this is really good stuff. This is tremendous teaching. This Bible is full of amazing truths about God and about us and about life. And I can study theology and I can know and learn all of these things. And then I close my Bible, walk out the door, and I live by sight rather than by faith. I walk away from it unchanged. And that's what we see happening here, that, 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 that people are marveling at his teaching, but they don't honor God. They don't honor Jesus as God. Why? Because, because they're not doing what he says. They're not acting in response to this. And I believe one of the reasons for this from our passage is that familiarity often keeps us from believing beyond our experiences. That familiarity can keep us from believing beyond our experiences. And and I think how we can see that sometimes is how do we expect God to work? We expect God to work in ways that we've seen Him working. Right? So here's a question. If we haven't been seeing God working a whole lot, what is our expectation? 
I think God must not going to be working a whole lot. And because of that, sometimes in our own lives, we kind of have this wet blanket on our spiritual lives because we think, well, God did big things back in Bible times. God big did big things back in the time of the Reformation. God big did big things in the 60s or the 80s or whenever. God did big things now, but world's changed and just things are different. And so our expectations are watered down. And we fail to remember that the supernatural work of God is something that he wants to be doing and he can do now. But sometimes, because we haven't seen what we think we want to see, that this familiarity puts a wet blanket on us and we really don't expect God to do much. So we don't pray big prayers. We don't pray that God would do these supernatural work amongst us. We simply pray, God, help me to have a good day. I mean, is anybody else guilty of that? We've gotten to the lid on my prayer sometimes. Does God help me to have a good day? Or even, God, help that person to heal well from their surgery. And I'm not saying we should not pray about that. And we should. But sometimes that's the cap of our prayers. How often are we praying, God, save this neighbor of mine who is a wicked individual. They need the gospel. God, open their eyes to the gospel. That we pray. How often do we pray? We talk often about broken families in our communities and things going on in schools and all that. But how often are we actually praying, God, change something here. God, give us wisdom to know how to engage. How often are we praying that? And I believe oftentimes that we don't see God do big things because we're not expecting God to do big things and we're not praying for God to do big things. And why not? Because oftentimes, familiarity. As we recognize this, the challenge for us is do we believe God? Do we really trust Him? Does this gospel of Jesus Christ move you? Does it move you? Not simply to recognize that the the gospel... God wants to change you and to help your life. But God has bigger goals than that, too. This gospel and this truth aren't just for us. God wants to use us in the lives of others. I mean, listen, I was, I was driving home the other day, and I was listening to this radio thing, and this thought came to my mind. And, and, it, and it's this idea that we as believers are salt and light, Right? We as believers are salt and light, right? Okay, what does light do in darkness? Here's, here's my answer. It makes a difference, right? In darkness, light makes a difference. Salt to bland green beans makes a difference, right? Salt and light make a difference. Why? Because it has an impact. And I would say, I, so I'm thinking as I'm driving home, thinking, This is an amazingly simple truth to recognize. God wants to use you to make a difference right where you are. And you think, well, I'm not equipped, blah, blah, blah. I'm not equipped. I don't know enough. We have a million excuses, and I will tell you those excuses are simply excuses. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You know the gospel. I mean, listen. without being prideful, we should be able to walk into a room of unbelievers and and be able to say to them, I can help make your life better. Right? I'm dealing with unbelievers. I'm salt. I'm light. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I know the Word of God. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. 
to be able to walk in and to recognize, I can help you. But so often, I think we're just content with, well, as long as God's working in my life, I hope the world gets saved and some people tell people about Jesus and they go to heaven, but it's really just all about me, which is a rather distorting understanding, distorted way of understanding the gospel, isn't it? It's about us and to go beyond us. We are salt. We are light. God wants to do supernatural work in us. How many of you are thankful that somebody, I mean, let me pause. How many of you had a very ordinary person share the gospel and lead you to Jesus? How many of you had a very ordinary person, the neighbor, co-worker, Sunday school teacher, mom, dad, how many of you would say that a very ordinary person led me to Jesus? Okay, second question. How many of you would consider yourself a very ordinary person? Guess what? You're qualified to do in the life of other people just what God has done in you. Now, you say, nope, I'm not ordinary, I'm extraordinary. Great, you got more work to do, okay? But we recognize this. God wants to use us. And the challenge is that our unbelief often closes the door to the supernatural work of God in our lives. Man, that convicts me. Challenges me. Well, I tell you what, before we move on, let's just, I'm going to pray right now in the middle of our service just to pray that God would help us. Let's, let's look to him. God, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people of faith. Lord, that we know your truths and we are often astonished at your teaching. We're amazed by it. But Lord, I pray that you would take the lid off of the things that would hinder our belief in the supernatural things that you would want to do in us and through us. Lord, as individuals and then as a church, that that we would take the lid off, Lord, that we would believe that you are able to do far more than all that we ask or imagine. And Lord, that as we believe that, that we would pray that way and that we would open our eyes to opportunities and ask you to use us in the lives of others to do supernatural work. God, help us. Lord, help this familiarity with the gospel and the familiarity with the truths of Christianity not be a wet blanket for us. And Lord, that you would just ignite in us a great passion, a great passion for you and to see your work being carried out in our world. Lord, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, our unbelief can close the door to the supernatural work of God. But let's move on now. Verse 7. It says this. And he called the twelve, okay, his twelve disciples, and he began to send them out two by two. He sends them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing on their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not put on two tunics, And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. As we see this idea that our unbelief can close the door to the supernatural work of Jesus, in this section what we see is that our obedience, our obedience opens the door to the supernatural work that Jesus wants to do through us. 
Okay, so unbelief closes the door to the work in us. Obedience opens the door to his work through us. So what do we see here? Well, as Jesus calls his 12 together, he sends them out two by two. He sends them out two by two. And, and, and we can look in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. I'm going to look. Well, turn there with me. Let's look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. If you're using a pew Bible, this is on page uh, 554 or 555. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Why is he sending them out in twos? Okay, why, why not three? Why not four? And there are a lot of reasons for this, but, but I think this ties us, it helps us kind of explain some of the thinking of the day and what was going on culturally. And in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone and falls and has not another to pick him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man uh, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so we see there's some practical wisdom to going in pairs. You see mutual encouragement, mutual help. Somebody falls down, somebody can bandage them up. Thieves come along, two are going to be defending each other much better than one. We would look at the time as well that legal things come up, that it required two, two uh, witnesses of something legal takes place. So a variety of reasons why he would send them out in twos. But I also think just the mutual encouragement that comes with being other, with others. It's pretty easy to get discouraged by yourself. When God calls us to his work, he doesn't just call us as individuals. He sends us out together. So they go out two by two, and he sends them out. He, listen, he's sending them out to do what he's been doing. What's Jesus been doing? He's been preaching, been casting out demons, been healing the sick. What are they supposed to do? Preach. Cast out demons, heal the sick. It says to us in verse 7 that he sends them out with authority. He gives them his authority, which, by the way, we would fast forward to the end of Jesus' life after his resurrection. We get to Matthew 28 when Jesus says, All authority under heaven has been given to me. And then he says, Go and make disciples. Okay? The thing we're seeing here is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to call us to do to go and make disciples. He sends them with authority. He sends them also in faith. I mean, they're supposed to go. He says, take your staff, but don't take bread. Don't take your bag. Don't take money in your belt. Go ahead and wear sandals, but don't take two changes of clothes. Just go. That's dependence, right? I mean, that's just, you're just, I mean, that's like us. We're going to go, we're going to take a trip, just get in the car. Leave your wallets at the door or in the offering plate. So we would just go, right? And <laughs> I didn't, anyway. So we would go. <laughs> yeah, so we just, we'll go, not, we don't have anything. So what are we going to have to trust? They're going to just have to trust God. The provision and the kindness of others. In that day, hospitality was a huge deal. And so when they would go to place to place, they're supposed to trust that others are going to care for their needs. You talk about scary. 
right? Trust in the Lord, trust in others to take care of your needs because most of us are wired to do what? Take care of my own needs. And we realize there's, if we don't work, we don't eat. We recognize that responsibility. But Jesus here is saying to them, trust my provision, not your own. He tells them in verse 10, when you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. The idea is you get into town and uh, some guy, the people that welcome you, that they are glad you're there. They take you in. They got this tiny little house in an uncomfortable bed. You run into somebody the next day with a big house and really comfortable bed. Don't go there. Stay where you're at. Because you start moving around all that, that's going to that's that's hinder the message. Go and be content. And so he tells them to go, and he says in verse 11, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake the dust off that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And the idea here is when the Jews would go in Gentile territory, when they would leave it, they would clean the dust off of their feet because they didn't want the Gentile dirt on their feet in Jerusalem. All right, there's some, uh, anyway, some hostility there, obviously. But what he's saying is, somebody goes, they don't receive you. He's not saying, sit on the side of the town and cry and weep and all that. Don't beat yourself up because you didn't do a good job. He says, they, you, if you've been faithful and you've gone and done what I've called you to do, they don't believe, shake the dust off your feet and just move on. That's what he's called them to. Because if they're not receptive... Keep going. Keep getting seeds. Keep throwing seeds in other places if it's not going to go there. And so what happens? Verse 12. So they went out. Jesus told them to go out. They went out. They proclaimed that people should repent. Jesus called people to repent. They're calling people to repent. And they cast out, this is a key word, many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and he healed them. What do we see in this? That this idea is that our obedience opens the door to the supernatural work that Jesus wants to do through us. How do we see this? That we are responsible to take the gospel to others. We are responsible to take the gospel to others with confidence in God's provision. Now, as we take the gospel, we don't take this um, a one-for-one correspondence. But what I want us to see is that we trust His provision. I sometimes, when we're talking about sharing the gospel and we talk about going and talking to others, I'll sometimes hear people say, man, Pastor Steve, but you, you talk a whole lot better than I do and you can explain this stuff a whole lot better than I do. Maybe you should be the one who goes and talks to these people. My response is typically, listen, they really aren't probably going to care what I have to say because they don't know me. They know you. But think about what's, what happened in our passage. Do you think the disciples, as Jesus says, go, do you think they probably thought, um, Jesus, you're a little better at this than we are. You're giving us authority, but you have all authority. Wouldn't it be better just for you to keep going and doing all this? Why are you sending us to do this? Because frankly, Jesus, I don't think we have a prayer. And look what happened. Earlier when Jesus is in his hometown, look what it says. It says in verse 5, he could do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few people. We hear down in verse 12 and verse 13, many, many. What was the response of the people to Jesus? 
They didn't respond to him. The disciples go out. What's the response? People respond to him. What is this teaching us? This is teaching us that the power and the work of God does not come because of who we are, but because of the word of God and the, heart, and the, and the condition of people's hearts. What we're called to do is to go and just share the gospel. Just go. Just go communicate these truths. And the responsibility is up to them with what happens to it. And sure, we need to be wise about how we're going to say things. We need to uh, make sure that we're not saying things foolishly. But listen, we oftentimes think that, that we're not going to go because I'm not very well equipped or somebody else could do it better. Well, I would charge you right here. Jesus knows he could do it better, but he sends them out because he wants to multiply this work. And he's going to ultimately send out his disciples. And we think about the, how many people were following Jesus at the end of his life. I don't know, 12, 50, 100 maybe, just a few. Holy Spirit's poured out on Pentecost. On Pentecost Peter preaches the gospel. 3,000 people come to Jesus. Why? Because Peter was faithful. He spoke. He did what God called him to do. Was Jesus a better preacher than Peter? I'm confident that he was. But Peter was willing to be used. And God used him in a very powerful way. And what we recognize in this, that we are responsible. We have a, we're called to take the gospel. But in this passage, as Jesus told them, if they don't listen, shake the dust off your feet, what we realize is that we are not responsible for the results. The results are not in our hands. Listen, as we understand this, if people don't listen to us, and they're like, ah, and we, obviously we would be burdened that they would, but if they don't, our job is not to continue to like stare at our belly buttons and wring our hands and wonder, oh, I, just must, I must be terrible, I'm not very winsome, I'm not very good at all that. And as a result, I didn't see any results when I shared last time, so I'm not going to do any more. Jesus says, brush the, feet, brush the dust off your feet and keep going. You're not in charge of the results. You're just, we're just called to plant seeds, to cast seeds, to help people to understand the Word. That's our role. And it's the, between the Holy Spirit and the person as to what happens next. And, and yet we sometimes think that, well, I'm not very good. I've shared the gospel with a few people and they didn't respond, so I, I should probably not do this. Well, no, listen, obedience is what opens up this door. And, and what we recognize in this, too, is that we can only be used by God in this supernatural work if we go. You realize, the only thing that's guaranteed when it comes to taking the gospel to others, the only thing that's guaranteed is if you don't go, people won't hear the gospel from you and be saved. Right? If you don't go, they won't hear it from you. Okay, now you think, well, somebody else can share it with them. Somebody else might. Maybe. Unless they're just like you. I mean, this, this is some hard teaching here. Jesus in his hometown is ineffective. How many of you in your own family, when you talk about things of the gospel, that you, that you like, the walls go up? Well, I've got family members that way. 
You know, dude, you're just like me. You're my brother. <laughs> you know, you're my cousin. You know, those type of things. Why should I listen to, to you? But we speak and we go. But we also recognize that we're rubbing shoulders with all kinds of people. And I would encourage you to, to spend a little time thinking about who are some of the people in your ordinary paths of life. Who are the people in the, just the context of where you live? Who are the unbelievers that you work with, your neighbors with, work out with, you're in some clubs with? Who are the unbelievers? Have they heard the gospel? Have you, even, have you taught, tried to have a gospel conversation with them? Have you actually, even before that, have you had a conversation with them? That's really the starting point in our culture. Yeah, just talk to people. But then are you talking with an intentional purpose to, to plant and water seeds of the gospel? That's, God calls us to this. And listen, how many of you, how many of you would say, I want to see God do supernatural work in me and through his church? Does anybody want to see that? I mean, absolutely. But well, how is God going to do that? Yes, we need to pray, and we need to study, and we need to become equipped. But we also must go, because if we don't go, God's not going to use us. And that we would be a people that are eager to go, that we are a people who believe God's word. Again, I would love to see God make us, continue to grow us, to be a people who are absolutely delighted with him. That we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That God would continue to give us joy and peace and contentment. That God would work in us in significant ways. That He would give us a great passion for life and the work of God. That He would make us people eager to take the message of the gospel to others. And I would love to see us experience the supernatural work of God, to see God save people, to see God answer our prayers, to see God restore marriages, to see families pieced back together, to see the spiritually cold becoming supernaturally hot, to see the hard-hearted becoming soft, to see bitter people offering forgiveness. Listen, these are the things that God wants to do in us and through us. And God wants to use us. He wants to use you in the lives of others. I want to see us be a church, a lighthouse in our community, where we are taking the gospel to people and offering them help and hope, loving them wisely with grace and truth. And how do we get there? We get there by believing. Believing God can do this. But then it comes through our obedience that we go. It's very simple. We trust and obey. And as we trust and obey, that's what opens the door for God's work. And I would ask you this morning, do you believe? Will you obey? Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone to trust God's provision and take the gospel to someone who needs it. Will you? Let's pray together, and then as we pray, we'll have the ushers come and receive offering. But let's, Father, as we look at this passage, Lord, we recognize that the unbelief of the people in Nazareth, Lord, they, because of that, they weren't able to see 
the mighty works of Jesus that others saw. And Lord, I pray that us as residents of Crawfordsville, Lord, that we would not, that this gospel would not be hindered because we're unwilling to believe you. Lord, I pray that familiarity would not put a lid on our understanding of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would call us and challenge us to be an obedient people as we walk in obedience to you, that you would do supernatural work in us and through us. God, help us. Lord, I pray that you would not simply bring conviction upon us, but God, that your spirit would then move us, move us to action, to be able to go, to go and take this gospel to people who need it. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.